Welcome to Spotlight On, your Griffith College alumni podcast. We are delighted to welcome Yvonne Kiley, who studied an MA in Journalism and Public Relations with Griffith College, graduating in 2017. Today's podcast will shine a spotlight on Yvonne's academic and career achievements to date. Yvonne is an independent academic researcher of the music industry in Ireland and worldwide, focusing on gender representation in the music magazine industry and the relationship between commerce and image culture in music. The owner of Kylie Management, a freelance journalism company, and also the owner of the online music magazine, Laser Guided Reporter. Welcome to the podcast, Yvonne. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for inviting me here. You're more than welcome. So um, I guess the first thing to kind of touch on is um, your, your research into the music industry. Yeah, it, it actually began at Griffith anyway in my dissertation. So that was the first music research I did. And that was the first research that was published in a media journal this year. Um, and the research that I do is about gender representation on music magazine covers uh, at music festivals as well. And that's been the main focus to date. Yeah. Very interesting. So can I ask what kind of um, made you want to research these areas? Um, I knew before I started my master's course at Griffith that I wanted to research that particular topic. So by the time it came to choosing a dissertation, I knew straight away and I'd already done some research about it. Um, I think uh, gender issues had always been important to me because I had experienced a lot of those problems already. And that combined with a passion for music just created the perfect storm for going into this kind of research. And you have published already um so you've got uh, a paper that's already out music magazines and gendered space the representation of artists on the covers of hot press and rolling stone so um that piece of research is is looking specifically at the representation mm. of the covers of, of artists in those two two publications so um i guess with that piece of research what kind of drove you to to look at those two you know, specific magazines? Yeah, it, um, I couldn't find any research apart from a piece of research from 2011 looking at artist representation in Rolling Stone and there was nothing else for me to look at. And being in Ireland, I knew I wanted to do Hot Press because that's, you know, unchallenged, you know, one of the biggest players in the music magazine industry here. And I wanted to compare them to somebody and the obvious choice was Rolling Stone. I mean, they are, you know, they do mirror each other in a lot of different ways. And it's already known that Niall Stokes, who founded Hot Press, was looking at Rolling Stone anyway for inspiration. So I, I think it was just a natural comparison. And I'm glad I did because it, it yielded interesting results in the end. So do you mind kind of discussing the kind of results that you, you found from, from that research? Yeah, um, I looked at just men and women artists. So I cut out everybody who wasn't associated with the music industry first. And I looked at close to 300 covers and then I ended up with 9,101 pieces of data. And then I tracked that data over time. So from the late 60s for Rolling Stone and the late 70s for Hot Press in terms of um, how people's arms, chests, legs and midriffs are covered or uncovered by clothing, what people's mouths are doing. Are they smiling? Are they open? Are they performing? Are they holding an instrument? Are their eyes looking at the camera at an upward angle or a downward angle? Or are they looking away? Are their eyes closed? So I was really just scraping away at the minute details of how every artist is um, 
represented and then tracked it over time and then compared the data. And I found that the data on the cover pop press was almost identical in every single way at every single point in time to the data of Rolling Stone. And that there was a very clear difference in how men were portrayed versus how women were portrayed. And they were two sides of a coin, you know, complete opposites of each other, but they're both highly regulated. You know, men are highly regulated on the cover. Women are highly regulated on the cover in terms of how they express their bodily identity and sexuality. Uh, women being much more sexualized and men being like, you know, your typical YouTube cover of leather jackets, arms folded, looking down at the camera with absolutely no emotion on their face. Um, so that those are the main things, really. Yeah. That's very interesting. And I suppose that kind of leads into the, the gender inequality of, of how bands or, or artists are perceived more generally in the in the in public perception as well because you know if, if it's a, a male group they're stereotypically seen as you know oh, it's, it's a cool thing to be in a band if it's if it's all guys mm, it's very serious and it makes you think it made me think about branding i hadn't thought about that at all before going into it and then i started doing research about branding and gender and there was already some research out there but there has there isn't a, that much you know it's definitely an area that people could look into a lot more if you're a student somewhere and you want to look into gender in the music industry branding and visual identity is like the place to be it's exciting yeah interesting and then i guess that kind of leads us on to your forthcoming paper um which is uh, a paper in a in a book which is media narratives in popular music which is is mm -hmm. due for publication so has, is this a switch uh, to just focusing on popular music away from maybe uh, different genres of music that are out there? This is the, the great thing about having a piece of research that can be published because you can publish it in lots of different places. So this is the same research, um, but to a different brief. So they put a call out, the editors in the UK, for people who are studying uh, media in popular music. So that coincided really well with what I was doing. And it's the same research, but it's talking about the narrative. So how Hot Press created a narrative. Hot Press is the main subject of this, this book chapter. So how they created a narrative and how that narrative compares to the narrative that I've uncovered. So it's, it's a historical kind of look rather than a big data-driven narrative that, that's in the, the media journal paper. Okay, very interesting. And um, I guess this kind of segues quite nicely into um, the laser-guided reporter. So this, from, from what I understand is a blend of music writing research and commentary um and, and it's your own your own venture the the laser guys guided reporter so how did you kind of come up with the, with this idea so i started laser guided reporter um just before just before i went into griffith and i knew i wanted to get into that kind of music writing i wanted to do something online and over a couple of years over those years it's developed into a space where i can talk about research and then do bits and pieces of writing about maybe a new piece of music I like or commentary. Like it's, it's a small scale thing. It's just me. It's purposely non-commercial. I don't sell any ad space um, because I find that if I did sell ad space, it would make it easier on me for sure. But I think I'd lose some freedom to talk about the research in the way that I do. Um, but I welcome people to send me, I get, press releases from bands and I guess people sending me things and I don't get around to all of them but I do try and write about some of them 
yeah. Cool. And you've um, you've also written for 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 other sources as well. So I believe um, you probably started off with the the circular, uh, the Griffith College publications, and then yeah. There's also um, is it Nile and Nine? That's another one. Uh, I put out. I wrote an article for Nile and Nine um, earlier this year because I'm part of a, a global research group. Um, a, a feminist music network and we look at gender representation worldwide at electronic music festivals and new research came out this year and for the first time Ireland was included so I volunteered to count all Ireland's data and put it into the project and then I wrote an article for Niall about it and he published that he was really cool about it really into it um, so it's just talking about you know how important it is to talk about gender representation and particularly in Ireland when we don't really have that conversation about music festivals if you look at them like electronic music a lot of them were really heavily male dominated and some of them are kind of getting more equal now mm. um but yeah a few, there's a few different articles there i did some chatbot writing so I, I did some tech journalism immediately after i graduated because that's just a really great field to get into if you want to earn some money um so i wrote about chatbots for yeah. a year and a half to two years I was I was going to ask about the, uh, the the chatbot side of things as well. So um, I guess that I read a couple of the articles. They're, they're super interesting, um, very well written. Um, I guess they're, they're quite polarizing topics. Some of them that you've uh, you've discussed, you know, from, from chatbot side of things. Um, so, for example, um, the one that I came across: can sex chatbots be dominant? Um, oh. Was was a very interesting read. What kind of drives those kind of articles and, and were you given a brief or was this something that you you wanted to write about yourself? Um, I was never given any brief I was just told make pitches and you know I don't think I had ever received a rejection from the editor Connor he just took them on board um, and that was the first kind of big one I wrote and it was combining my own interest in sex and gender dynamics and particularly sexual experiences because that's another topic I'm interested in and combining it with the topic of the magazine. And I started wondering, you know, I'd done a lot of research into sex robots and I thought, well, what about like the text-based, you know, sex experiences? Um, remember when we used to message each other on MSN Messenger and like, you know, you, there was a chatbot on that years ago and you used to try and make it say dirty things and it never did. And, you know, that kind of like innocent <laughs> naivety. But, um, and I started thinking, well, you know, can chatbots ever be, independently dominant in a sexual relationship can you is there room for fetish in the experience and does it make sense and um, the answer is look we're not at that stage it just doesn't make sense there's no it can't be dominant um because the there's always the knowledge in your own head no matter how much power you try and give it that you still ultimately have that power it's asymmetrical we're not at that stage yeah that was a fun article to write i liked that one it was a, it was a very interesting article to read. It was um, lots of things that I had zero knowledge on before, so I'd recommend any listeners uh, maybe maybe search out a few of these chatbot articles. So I guess another one that really kind of touched me when I read it was how to create a chatbot that users will love. That was that was another really interesting piece that you'd written and yeah, just just scraping the surface on that one really. It's um, that's the most popular one I've written. That has you know, 50 or 60,000 views and since it went up, I don't know why that's so popular, but it's, it's like, maybe it's helpful to people, maybe. I guess so. I suppose that the rise of the chatbot in, you know, customer service has, has mm. maybe opened people's eyes to, to their uses. And I suppose we live in a more and more digital age and, and the fact that 
you know, we're all kind of currently been at home for the last few months. Mm. I suppose people start to look towards these sorts of things. So, um, yeah, super, super interesting. And I would definitely recommend um, checking Thank out some you. of those. <laughs> nice. um, I guess if we can kind of segue into the, the fact survey, is this something you've been a part of? So I've been a member of Female Pressure for a few years and I was kind of engaging in conversations. It's a network of two and a half thousand people working in electronic music and visual arts all over the world. So we all communicate via email. I've never met anyone face to face. There's only a handful of people in Ireland who are in the, the network doing research together, collaborating, really cool things. And the facts research was created as a way to understand gender representation at electronic music festivals. And we, we don't get any funding. It's all volunteer led. We publish it. We launch it in different cities. And I managed to get funding from IMRO for the event that I hosted this year. So that was really cool. They funded the event so that we could share the research. Yeah, that is very cool. And um, yeah, that kind of globalized research kind of committee is something that is very important to, to scientific research and, and obviously you know you've you've met lots of different people and shared lots of different ideas virtually which is is something that's, that's super interesting so how have you found that dynamic of, of working globally with different people and maybe from different cultures it's been really good for mental health it really has helped me um you know even when there was no pandemic and we could all socialize and work however we wanted to I still found myself missing some kind of sense of community and it, I needed a music community, but I also needed a feminist music community who were really loud and vocal and strong and understood and were inclusive. You know, that was something I didn't have in any face-to-face -face group in Ireland, you know, no kind of strong network like that. So even though I've never met anyone, I feel so uh, supported, you know, my emotional well-being has just, has benefited so much from this and I know other people have benefited from my contributions as well so it's it's a really cool thing I hope other people if, they, if you're missing that kind of connection go look for it because you don't have to have it face to face it can be online that's very interesting and I know you know you, you've mentioned your, your research a couple of times is there any kind of uh, overarching aim that you'd like from your research to, to kind of change perceptions of, uh, of the music industry or is there any kind of guidance that you'd like to maybe uh, issue to the music industry on representation of, of gender? I think the next step it would be really cool if we could normalize having con those conversations in the first place because I think the data just isn't there at the moment in a lot of industries we don't have data about gender representation at rock festivals over the last 20 years we don't have um data about um representation of age in music videos or of wealth on music magazine covers or of gender in different areas like people are doing it but it's very slow it's sporadic people are often doing it with no funding uh, no government support and that's something that would be uh, i think funding that's a, the end goal to get this stuff and then conversations can go on from there but if we normalize those conversations a bit more get younger people involved and then make it so that funding um, becomes the obvious choice and then we can go from there cool and 
I guess that kind of moves us through to the, the next sort of section of, of the podcast. And I guess for me, um, it's, it's always interesting to, to interview different people and, you know, kind of get a snapshot of, of their work. Um, so I guess the next part would be what, what aspects of your current role do you find most rewarding? When I always, I have like four different roles going on in my head at the same time. Um, I run a zine called Spread and I'm, I've been working on that today and, and working, that's a constant thing. So that's a publication that me and my friend run and it's published by Laser Guided Reporters. So it ties in with my other projects. And um, the rewarding thing about that is that we give a space to other people um, to publish their work, you know, independent artists who maybe have never had their work published. Writers can send us in. We had a bunch of poetry submissions the last time. And in the next issue, we're going to have a lot of art being published. And, you know, I think it's very hard to get your work published when you're starting out. And that's something I really enjoy, just creating that space. And there's a bit of shock value in it. You know, there's a lot of sex in it. There's a lot of stuff that you just would not get in a glossy magazine. And I think that's kind of like, yeah, I'm proud of that. You know, get some, you know, get some shock reaction somewhere. Maybe, I don't know, it's just something that I'm proud of. Yeah. Very interesting. And I guess um, just to kind of, you know, juxtaposition that first question, what, what would you find uh, has been the most challenging aspect of, of maybe that role that you've just discussed with the, the magazine? or the, the... Hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about that today because um, I have a to-do list for all the articles I'm writing. And um, there's a balance between being honest and being subversive and um, wanting to challenge dominant narratives and shocking people and putting conversations out there that are not on mainstream newsstands, but also knowing where the line is and making sure that you're not just expressing all your emotions all over the place and assuming that it's fine because I'm my own editor I don't have somebody else looking over my shoulder um, just asking me, are you sure you want to publish that? You know, I need to ask myself that question. And I've, that's something, I think that's a challenging aspect when you're running something on your own or you're doing it with somebody else, but you're your own editor. You don't have somebody just asking you to chill out a bit. Yeah, that's, that's a hard thing. I've had a, a similar conversation with um another Griffith grad who, who is a film director and he said um, the hardest thing for him is, is getting that second voice in and it's mm. it's like cutting bits out of your baby was his quote that that kind of came back and yeah I, I find that super interesting the fact that you have to yeah. kind of moderate yourself uh, and, and moderate what goes out in the in the magazine yeah, it's so, uh, true. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess um, the next, the next kind of questions are more Griffith specific. So you studied uh, with Griffith College, you studied an MA in journal, journalism and PR. Um, can you kind of tell us why you decided to, to study that course? Yeah, so I wanted, first of all, to move from Galway to Dublin. I'd never lived away from Galway and I wanted, you know, to be somewhere where the action was. You know, if I was gonna do journalism, I was like, yeah, I have to go to Dublin for it. And uh, the public relations aspect of the course appealed to me because there's a part of me that at the time, and maybe there still is a part of me that, you know, would consider getting involved in politics and being a bit more of a public figure. And we did do a lot of public um, sort of 
we, we, we delved into like examining different aspects of that, which was useful. Yeah. Cool. And can you maybe tell us a little bit about your, your experience of studying with Griffith College? It was, um, I found it very easy to get into a rhythm. Like I moved to Dublin to do the course. I didn't know anybody at all. Um, I was renting as well as a student, which was really stressful. So there were moments when I completely lost my head because of the renting situation and having this home base of Griffith, the campus itself, the physical aspect of it was really helpful because I used to spend late nights in the radio station doing all my assignments there because I couldn't do them in the house I was living in. Um, I just couldn't go home. I used to just sleep there and leave and that was it. So having that space, um, no one telling me to leave as well. You know, I was there until midnight, security guard, just whatever, you're fine. Um, the lecturers were all really welcoming as well. Very just honest, you know, yeah. That's great to hear. And from there, um, you've, you've continued your studies uh, with, I believe, is it um, BIM? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you yeah. continued. So I'm, I, I can't get away from college. Um, so I went and did a, a part-time music business course because I had started managing a band or I was just about to start managing a band. And I know that music business is something that I'd really just love to get more involved in. Yeah, that was really good. Very interesting. And you mentioned there uh, about managing a band. So a woman of many talents, how, how did you end up <laughs> in that space? And, and what, was, what was that kind of project like? Um, that was one thing I've learned is that people who say they just fell into the role of being a band manager are lying. <laughs> so there's no such thing as just finding yourself managing a band or just being so naturally good at it. You're like, oh, look, I'm a manager. You know, you often hear about that for all these, you know, very famous bands. They're just their manager just became their manager somehow. That's not how it works. Um, I spent a year thinking about it before asking the front man and the other band members, could I manage them? And it was because I loved their music and I could see that if I got involved, there was the potential of success and financial reward because, you know, you can love the music, but there has to be some kind of business model there. And I could see that they had great potential. Uh, so that was a difficult COVID just hit after I started managing them. So everything changed. All the plans changed. We had to learn to adapt and um, it's just been total mayhem. For them you know i feel really bad for everyone who depends on the music industry to make a living like it's really really tough it's been a very very tough time and i guess that kind of brings us into the the next sort of question that i, that I had lined up was um the challenges of working with COVID. obviously you've, you do your own research and and you know sometimes that will involve working collaboratively in person with people uh, has has covid affected your day-to-day -day with with the projects that you run yeah, it has stopped me from interviewing people face to face, which is what I like doing. That's my favorite thing to do. It's what all, a lot of my research is based around long face to face interviews. And now I can't do those anymore. <laughs> I'm very sad about it. You know, the Zoom thing is grand. It's, it's very useful. You can record the interview as well very easily. But I like being with the person, you know, going for a coffee, being in an atmospheric place, like the, the back of a bar or something, you know, that kind of thing adds to it so much. I must agree with you on that one. So the, for the first series, it was all in person and I, we've switched over to, to Zoom for, for this second series. And I agree that 
the face-to-face rapport that you build up with someone, you know, for maybe half an hour before you start recording really helps me. Uh, but I also think it helps the, the podcast as well. Mm-hmm. So I can completely understand where you're coming from with that one. Um, I guess trying to take some positivity from, from what we're currently all going through. Is there anything that you'd like to maybe implement in your life that um, has, has come, come about as a direct result of COVID? So I know for, for myself, um, you know, me and my partner have done a lot more walking. We've, we bought bikes and we are cycling a lot more and we've stopped using the car as much. So I suppose those sorts of things are, are areas that we are implementing and will continue to implement in our lives. So is there anything along those sorts of lines? Um. I think looking after my mental health has been a bit more of a direct thing from COVID. So because it's very difficult to access services, um, I've looked to see what's out there technology wise that could help. So I've bought a year subscription to Headspace and that's been really useful, really cool. They do these uh, sort of nighttime stories where, you know, you're in a, a treehouse in a forest you know, and there's 25 minutes of someone talking about things and then, you know, there's night sounds. You can listen to uh, sort of an endless radio of soundscapes and you can meditate with people at the same time. There's, you can measure your stats, you can look at your own well-being. And I think that's been very good. I wouldn't have looked into that if it weren't for COVID. Yeah, it's surprising how many people have, have said things like mental health and uh different different avenues of maybe dealing with their own mental health i know you know a few guests have, have mentioned reading and and a few others have mentioned you know mindfulness and headspace so i get again i suppose that that look back in on yourself uh, and making sure that you're okay and and yet headspace uh, is something that i've used myself before and something that i would definitely recommend it's, it's a really cool place to go if you if you are looking for for you know some support in in that area mm. So uh, we'll move on to the, the final three questions that I've got for you. So uh, these are the just quick fire questions we ask every single guest. So the first one is uh, the best piece of advice that you've ever received. Yes, uh, the best piece of advice I've ever received is that healthy relationships are a product of setting boundaries. So I've taken that into professional life and in personal life. And if you don't like someone or if things don't go well, you don't have to cut anyone out. You never have to cut people out. You just have to set the boundary at a different level. So that's been helpful for me, you know, thinking about relationships as boundaries rather than letting people in or shoving them out. And that can be, that can be very useful for your professional life as well. And the next one would be, what advice would you give recent graduates entering the job market? sign up to newsletters and don't just sign up to them like everybody does but actually open them read them and click on the things that are in them and make sure that they are things that are relevant to your industry so for me i have i'm signed up to a bunch of music business newsletters i'm signed up to a bunch of tech and i'm signed up to uh, ireland research newsletters uh, women in research ireland all these different things and i open them and i make sure that i read them whether even if i miss it by a few days don't just let them sit there because these things, these newsletters are created by people who have gone out of their way to get all the information. So you don't have to. And when you go into an interview for your job, you'll have all this stuff to talk about. You know, you won't have to like cram. I don't know. Yeah. It just, it makes a lot of sense. 
Great advice. Um, yeah, being being tuned into the market that you're interested in is is, is great advice to, to recent graduates. I would second that. And then finally, how would you describe Griffith College in three words? Now, I know this is uh, something that can be quite difficult to do, so um, you can take your time with this one, uh, or you may have three words that spring to mind immediately. Uh, mellow is a word that I would use in the best possible sense. I never felt under pressure in a in an academic sense, you know, I was challenged and I was allowed to express myself, but you know, there was a very mellow, calm atmosphere, you know, in the classroom and when you're in the office with somebody, and I think that helped a lot. And it was very practical, you know, we were sent off to do things, you were given deadlines, all that stuff. And um, I suppose what else? I suppose the mellow thing kind of ties into being genuine. So some universities might have their own kind of atmospheres and ways of doing things. Um, but I felt that all the people working there that I interacted with genuinely just liked what they were doing. Um, and if they were unhappy with something that was going on in the news, you could talk about that and you could be very honest about it as well. So, yeah. Well, thank you very much. And uh, pleasure to have you on as a guest and definitely uh, one to watch for, for the future. I'll be keeping my eye out for, for more publications, uh, <laughs> more great reads. Uh, thank you very, very much for giving up your time and, and joining, joining the podcast today. Thanks, Alex. Mm -hmm.